Yeah, I think they're setting up tables. Okay, so you have your handout, and it would be a good idea if I could find mine. Here it is. There's a few blanks to fill in, but uh, most of them I filled in for you because I don't want you to spend your whole time like, wait, what was that, what was that blank, and all that stuff. So, so um, I like to start out with a few things that experts or um, commentators or even non-experts <laughs> have said about the book of James. And one person in a commentary, uh, Douglas Moo, I really like him. He's, I think he's a, a solid scholar. He said, few New Testament books are as controversial as James. And I didn't know it was controversial until I started preparing for this class. Um, um, another scholar in, a, in a, another commentary said it long languished in neglect. And by that, he's speaking of the fact that it, the book of James was not fully approved as, as being appropriately part of the New Testament until the 300s. And, and um, you know, you kind of, I guess we don't think about how we got the Bible, but, but there were all these different letters. And so the early believers, the leaders said, we got to kind of get this all you know, in one piece as God directed them and gave them discernment. And there were certain criteria of which ones would be in and which ones wouldn't. And so it, but it, there was a lot of debate about the book of James for quite a while. So, so until the 300s, it wasn't officially uh, across the early church recognized. Um, Martin Luther said, James mangled scripture. He opposes the Apostle Paul. It's an epistle of straw. And, and so we're going to encounter that. And even your lesson is going to direct you uh, somewhere along the line, not, not this first week, but to consider, does James really contradict things that the Apostle Paul said? Because that's a big debate in scholarly circles. So, so that'll be something to be looking for. Um, it's interesting that Jesus is only mentioned by name two times in the entire book. Now, he uses Lord and other titles several times, but sometimes we might think, as we read, we might decide that Lord refers to the Father, God the Father. So, but Jesus only by name twice. So that's kind of interesting for a New Testament book. Um, the Rose uh, Visual Bible Study Guide says that James has a blunt, in-your-face style. It's pointed, it's pithy, and it's practical. So one person uh, estimated that 60 different subjects are covered in these five chapters. I think it's 108 verses. Uh, yes, it says in 108 verses, there are about 50 imperative verbs, and that's the highest frequency frequency in the New Testament. Now, in case English um, grammar made your eyes roll back in your head, an imperative verb is one that gives a command, instruction. Um, I can urge you like, oh, you should check out this book. 
that's, that's an imperative, even though I'm not commanding you to. It's like urging somebody, encouraging them strongly, telling them you will do this. So, so and, and James is, you know, he, he has a lot of practical things to say. So in, in about every other verse on the average, <laughs> there is an imperative verb. So that's pretty high. Um, let's see. Well, let's, let's talk about the really basics. First of all, um, in, let's dig into your packet, your, your book, your study guide, your notebook, whatever form you have it in, and just go to, the, uh, I think it's page 99, which is where it'll have James chapter 1 printed out. Let's start at the beginning. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how to organize your notebook so it's hopefully not quite so confusing. And if you're new, I know it's like, what do I do with this paper and that paper? And, you know, we're going to try to help you figure all that out. But you're looking for James 1 printed out. Okay, I guess I should find mine. All right. So the first question is, what genre is, of literature is this book? Now, first of all, what's a genre? The type of literature. So tell me some types of literature that are found in the Bible. Poetic, prophecy, historical, narrative. That's when it just tells a story. King David did this and that. Wisdom, so that would be like the Proverbs and some of those. And some people think there's a lot of um, similarity to Proverbs. In fact, a few people even consider James as being kind of a New Testament wisdom, wisdom book. Uh, any other kinds of genre that you can think of? Like what, what about uh, epistles, okay? That's a fancy word for letter. So, you know, back before there was email, there, there were letters and texts and what's up and all that stuff. What's that? Songs and praise. Yes, songs and praise. That's in, especially in Psalms. But, but now a book doesn't have to be just one kind because let's say, for example, in the book of Exodus, there are some songs of praise, but it's mostly telling the story. They did this, they went there. God said, do this, this happened, and that's narrative. Okay, so what... Uh, let's read the first two verses, which are kind of a little um, introduction, and then you figure out what you think uh, the book of James is, like what genre, okay? Um, we have a special spot just for you. Welcome. Okay, James uh, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, Greetings. Okay, so what kind of, what um, does that sound like? What Sounds like a letter, right? Um, and, and in the Bible, there, or an epistle, if you want to use the fancy word, um, in the Bible, there are general epistles, and then there are those that are written, like we know that Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome. So some of those situations that he dealt with in the book of Romans were specific to that church. Um, Paul wrote uh, First and Second Timothy 
to Timothy. So some of those things that he dealt with in that letter were especially flavored for that, you know, for, for that situation. I think he was in Ephesus, if that right, isn't that right? Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. And so a general epistle is one like 1 John that we don't really, there's, you know, we don't know who specifically who it was to. And so, but James is not to one person or one church, but the next question, oh, you filled in your book, your, your blank, right? What genre is it? It's a letter or an epistle. Okay, so who was the original target audience? Who, if it's a letter, who did he write it to, according to verse 1? To the 12 tribes. Now, were these Native American tribes? <laughs> who were they? Because when we say tribe, that's what we're probably thinking. Oh, it belongs to the tribe. You know, it's, it's some of their, one of their philanthropic um, activities or something. So who are the 12 tribes? So they're probably Jewish people, right? Okay, so it's the 12 tribes, or, or you could conclude probably mostly Jews. Um, oh, no, I'm Jews. Er, in the early church, most of the believers were Jews, right? Because remember, they were, Jesus was always having conflict with the, with the Pharisees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the Pharisees were Jewish leaders. And so the people that were interested in things of God, that's, they, they like got the first shot at hearing about Jesus and his message. But um, very soon, people that were Gentiles began to believe too. But a good portion of them were Jews. Okay, and we'll talk a little more about the historical situation, like why they were dispersed and all that stuff. Um, oh, that's the next question. Where are they? Abroad. So where's abroad? All over the place. <laughs> yeah, it, so they're, they're at least away from Jerusalem and probably out of, out of the country of Israel, the territory of Israel. They're, they're abroad. They're in another area. So he's writing this, this uh, letter. James is writing this letter to Jewish people who are dispersed. And dispersed kind of implies that there was a reason that they left. Not like, oh, some of you guys have moved away and so I just wanted to keep in touch. But it kind of implies that, they, that they've, there's been a, an issue. And the Greek word for dispersed is diaspora, which you can see how we get the word dispersed. And so you may, if you're reading, you may read about the diaspora, which just refers to Jewish people being uh, forced or pressured to, to leave some area because of persecution, because of the political situation. They may be ordered out. They may, whatever, they may say they want to go because it's not good there, whatever. So they're dispersed, and we'll, we'll talk about that more. Okay, so we have... James is writing a book, a letter, uh, and now we have it, we call it a book. He's writing a letter to the, the people, that, the Jewish people who are dispersed abroad, and he says greetings. And then verse 2 says, now 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That was three also. So how does he address them in verse two? My brethren. So that probably, that's a more Christian term than a Jewish term. So that's probably implying that they are Jewish believers. Okay, so just keep that in the back of your mind. All right, so that's the audience, and that's a little bit about their situation. So now we need to figure out, okay, who's this guy that's writing this, this letter, and what's his situation and, you know, his background and all that stuff. So, um, uh, oh, by the way, on the back page at the top, there's a little by the way that I wanted to put on the front page but didn't have room. And um, you may have a version of the Bible that calls him Jacob. And that's actually more accurate both in Greek and in Hebrew. The name was closer to Jacob or Jacob or Jacobus or something like that. But um, supposedly when the King James Bible was being prepared, you historians, what, 1400s? See, I was going to say, I was going to say, I need my historian. Okay, during the Renaissance era. Um, when the King James Version was being prepared, King James said, well, I think we should call that book by James, the English, his English name, um, instead, of, instead of Jacob or whatever. So since, he, since, you know, it was obviously in English. And so... Um, that was his own little present to us. And so, um, and so you may find some places. In fact, there's, I was looking at a cross-reference this morning where uh, someone is referred to as Jacob, and there was a little footnote that said um, this is, you know, elsewhere he's referred to as James. So I guess he didn't go through the whole Bible. He, the Old Testament Jacob is still Jacob. So he just wanted a book named after him, I guess. Okay, so who's the author? Well, there are several people in the New Testament named James. And, and so we need to kind of sort those out. So the first one, back on the front page, is James the son of Zebedee. Remember James and John the son of Zebedee and their mother came and wanted, wanted to have, um, like could one of them sit on his right hand and one on his left in the kingdom? My boys are the best, you know, they, they really worked hard. They, they deserve a place of honor. Um, and the other disciples were ticked off about that because they wished they'd thought of asking. But anyway, uh, they, so that, that James was one of the original 12 disciples. And I've, I've listed uh, references where you can check all this stuff later. But he was killed. He was martyred by Herod fairly early. Um, and that was in Acts 12, it's reported. Um, another James was the father of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but, but another uh, disciple, and he's listed, uh, he's mentioned in Acts 1.13, but that's the only place he, this guy is mentioned, this James, as being the father of this other Judas, and, and he's really kind of just mis it mentioned in passing to distinguish between the two Judases, and so so it seems unlikely that he's the one that wrote the book. And the third one is James, the son of Alphaeus. And he also was one of the original 12 disciples. And that's the, uh, in Matthew 10, that's the only reference to him. We don't hear anything else about him. So again, 
it's not airtight, but it seems unlikely that he would be one of the ones that or would be the one that wrote the book of James. And so those first three were all in the upper room gathered together, um, said like 120 people, remember in Acts uh, chapter one, it's before Pentecost, Jesus said, you know, um, don't go out and do anything, wait until the spirits poured out. And so, so, so those three were all there waiting. Um, so they're, they're, you know, solid believers in everything. Um, there are a couple of other possibilities. Could be just some other James who's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, but maybe was known to the folks then. But it seems like if that's the case, he would have identified himself like I'm the cousin of Luke or I'm, you know, Paul's nephew or I'm the one that started the church at wherever to, to give some authenticity to his letter. So, so it seems like that's a little unlikely. And then another possibility is somebody who just, just wrote a letter because they had some opinions and, and put James's name on it so that it sounded official you know, like a forgery or a, 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 a fraud, like he pretended to be um, one of the better known Jameses. Um, but I question whether God would allow that book to become part of our Bible, you know. Yes, ma'am. Galatians 1.19. Yes. It says, only James, the Lord's brother. Yes. Yes, I have that down below. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Galatians 1.19, she's bringing up, but that's, um, I have that down as a reference. Thank you. Um, okay, so, so we're left with one other good possibility, and that is James, the half-brother. I call him a half-brother because Joseph was not the physical father of Jesus. Uh, so James is half-brother, and um, so he would have been one of Mary and Joseph's six or more younger children. He had at least four brothers that are named, and I've got references there, and at least two sisters, because it says sisters, plural. And so, so there were at least six more kids after Jesus, and, and so um, it could have been him. Um, and early in Jesus' ministry, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God, that even that he was sent from God. And, you know, it's like, well, he did always win the belching contests, but he's not God, you know, or, you know, I grew up with him. I, you know, we kicked each other in the bed and fought or whatever. And, and I mean, not that Jesus was mean because he never sinned. He was, he was a good kid, but it's not wrong to have belching contests. Well, there are a time and a place for it, right? And so, so he just, he did not believe that Jesus was what he was claiming to be. And in fact, um, in Mark 3, 21, there's an account of his mother and some other relatives come. They're, they're kind of what it's like, you've been, something's happened. You like are over the edge and we want to, we want to take you back home and let you rest and, you know, get over this thing. And so it doesn't say specifically that he's there, but I don't think the mother would go a long ways without some of her grown sons with her, you know, to kind of protect her and stuff. So, and she was probably concerned about him. So, so he did not believe that Jesus was 
who he said he was. But then if we go later, he also was in the upper room in Acts 1.14. It, it lists the apostles, you know, the 12 and all that, and some other, a couple of other people. And then it says who else was there, and he's listed there. And, and later when Paul was writing uh, to the Galatians, as Lucy pointed out, he referred to James, uh, the brother of Jesus, as an apostle. And he referred to him as a pillar of the church. So he had some le recognized leadership role in the church. Now, now, people use the word apostle pretty loosely today. If you turn on uh, religious television, there'll be the apostle, you know, so-and-so preaching. And, but in the Bible, in order to be considered an official apostle, they had to have, have uh, been with Jesus uh, seen him resurrected, some of those things, like firsthand witnesses. And, and Paul can be an apostle, although he wasn't one of the original 12, because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road and all that stuff. Um, and Acts 15, I just listed several verses there, but there, they, the church had to make some decisions about their direction and how they were going to handle things. And uh, having to do a lot of it was with, um, do we have to keep the Jewish law? Because most of them were Jewish. Uh, you know, how does that all work? And so, so they, um, some of the leaders came together and James emerges after Peter and some different ones talk. Then James kind of draws it all together and says, okay, what I hear you saying is this, and I I'm going to say that here's what we should do. And so he's definitely in a leadership role there. So what happened if he didn't believe in Jesus, thought he was wacko, said, I grew up with him, right? Come on, he's, you know. Um, and, and, but then he becomes this, this leader in the church and he's there at Pentecost and stuff. What happened in between those things that made that change. And so I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. So this is a this is not a general epistle. This is written to the church at Corinth. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't principles and and things that God has to say to all of us from it, but it, but it was specifically tailored for the church at Corinth. And so he's talking about, it's almost the end of the letter. Chapter 16 is the last chapter, and it's like, tell so-and-so this, and don't forget that, and all that. So, so in chapter 15, do you have a heading in your Bible? The resurrection. I hear different phrases having the resurrection. So that, so this is what Paul's talking about. He's just reminding them of the centrality of the resurrection. Like, why are we even doing what we do, except for the fact that Jesus resurrected? Um, so he starts out in verse 1, and he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, this is, the, this is the gospel in a nutshell, right here, the good news. And so here, starting in verse 3, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So when he says scriptures, he's talking about Old Testament. Because when he wrote this, the whole New Testament, I mean, he's just writing this letter. And it takes a while, like I said, for all those letters and everything to be collected and say, okay, we're pretty confident this is what God wants in this New Testament. So when he says scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. So, so right there, uh, that's like sort of like the, the gospel in a nutshell. He died and then the fact that he, why would he mention that he was buried? Well, that's proof that he died. You know, because there were all these things, these myths running around that, they, well, he didn't really die. He kind of fainted and, you know, and he got in that cool tomb and then he came to and snuck out, and, you know, and all this stuff. So John, he, he yeah, <laughs> yeah, the cross was, yeah, you don't really survive that. Okay, so, so he, he died for us according to the scripture it was predicted that he would sacrifice those of you that studied Isaiah talked about how he was going to do that um, and that he was buried so that's kind of the proof that he died and then secondly that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to various people and that's the proof that he was raised because they could just say oh he was raised and then he just kind of went out in the wilderness and you know communed with God but no he, he appeared to people to Cephas uh, to the 12 and after that verse 6 he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time so there was a gathering of 500 and he appeared there most of whom remain until now so he's saying Hey, a lot of those people are still alive. That hasn't been that long ago. Uh, but some have fallen asleep. Then, verse 7, he appeared to James. And some of your Bibles may say Jacob there. Does anybody's Bible say Jacob? Mine says James with a footnote that says Jacob. <coughs> uh, and then to all the apostles. So that James is the brother of Jesus. Because he's already talked about the 12 apostles. That some, remember, some of these Jameses were part of that. And then some of them we never heard any more about. So that James is the brother of Jesus. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Paul's saying uh, that, he appeared, that Jesus appeared to him even though um, he he, it was a little later than when he appeared to the others because he... Jesus had already ascended back to heaven by that time. Okay, so that's what happened to James. He saw Jesus ascend, the, you know, the risen Jesus. And I just think it's so cool that Jesus, I mean, there were the 500 and there were the apostles and the different people, but he made sure that James knew. I, it just gives me goosebumps. He, you know, that he that he wanted James to know. Can you imagine what James felt when he found out he grew up with God? 
I know. What what would it be like to you think of your siblings and one of them, you know, claims that they're God and then things happen that show that it is. So that they really were. So that's what happened to James is he saw the risen Christ. And I just love that Jesus, you know, had that affection for his for his brother and and came and and um you know, appeared to him. Now, if you think about um, at the cross, on the cross, who did Jesus say he, w- he, he wanted to kind of look after his mother? John. John. Hmm. Not one of his brothers. So isn't that, yeah, or sisters. Isn't that interesting that he, that he had someone else that he, you know, it seems like naturally... If Jesus is the oldest son, then the next son would be the one that would do that. But no, he says, um, yeah, yeah, John, John, yeah, John, yeah, yes, very, yes, exactly, and and I think so too. Yeah, I think. I think Mary was a believer at that point too. By the time he, by the time he got to the cross, she well, she probably, she had she had an inkling way early, you know. So anyway, okay. So yeah, yeah. She wasn't. She didn't have a hundred percent. Renee's pointing out that that Mary was with the other relatives who came to like take him away. Well, maybe she is thinking, oh, he has been just too busy or something, but, um, or she was worried, or she was worried about him. Ah, uh-huh. If you tell him to come, yeah. Oh, in these in these passages that I that I listed. Oh no, it says relatives. It doesn't say brothers there. Oh. Interesting. I'll have to look at that. That is Mark three Mark three twenty one. 321 mark 321 okay yeah and they're all in agreement you know yeah. so yeah i i'm sure that she She had the experience, so she knew she didn't have another man. Right. So in her heart, she knew that then, but like us, time passes and mm-hmm. stuff happens, and we go. Mm-hmm. Oh. Renee's saying that um, the uh, Mary's initial, uh, when, when she heard from God via the angel that she was going to have this child and he was going to be unique and all that, um, that that would be quite, that would leave quite an impression. But as time goes on and nothing happens, you know, he, he kind of seems like a regular kid. 
except that he's not mean to his brothers. <laughs> and um, yeah, they oh they tattled on him a lot. I'm sure he's a goody goody. But anyway, um, what happened to James was that he that Jesus made sure that he knew that Jesus had rose had risen. Got to use correct grammar. So okay, so we're gonna see more about that. Even just the way he he addresses or uh, describes himself in that first verse. He says, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was his name. Christ is a, is a title. It means Messiah. And the fact that he is referring to him as the Lord. And usually when they refer to Jesus as Lord, usually it's after his, his um, resurrection. Not always. Sometimes people called him Lord in a sense of like, sir. You know, help me, Lord, that kind of thing when, when he was working. Okay, so, we're, so we've talked about um, a little bit about the historical setting, and that's important to keep in mind because if you get a letter, you want to know who it's from and who this person, you know, a little bit about who this person is and what they want and what their motive is and what they know about you and all that. And so, so that's, that's like a, a little bit of historical context, like what was happening and all that. And we'll talk, like I say, we'll talk more about that, uh, why they're scattered abroad and, and those things. So, uh, how can I hear from God when I study the Bible? Because this, this isn't an English class where we're going to take some literature and just analyze it and look for metaphors and things like that and how the storyline goes. This, this is God's word that we're studying. So um, how, ca how can we hear from God? How can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to be our teacher when we study? And so um, the approach that we use is called inductive study. That's where you try to just come with, with, um, with a, an open mind. You've probably heard sermons galore from the book of James. You probably, uh, probably have a few verses that sound familiar to you. Um, you probably... Uh, might know, oh, he talks about heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, and he talks about the taming of the tongue, and, you know, you probably know a little bit about it, but we're going to approach it in a way that, that I believe will give you a fresh sense of what's in there. And so um, have a little acrostic that is use your ears. So, okay, so E stands for engage. There's a blank to fill in. Engage. And, and that's engage the text. You know, resist um, looking in a commentary first. Um, you know, give the Holy Spirit, let him be first in line to teach you. You know, any commentary, no matter how studied, how, how much experience and knowledge the writers of that commentary might be they're still people they're still human beings and so you can't conclude that every single thing that is in any commentary no matter how good it is um, is 100 percent correct and even if it is it's much more 
uh, meaningful and it will stick with us better if we let the Lord impress it upon us ourselves. It's kind of like the difference between cooking a meal and then enjoying it um, or, you know, getting something that's you just microwave. And if you don't like to cook, you're probably thinking, well, that microwave thing's pretty good. But, <laughs> but you know exactly what's in it, you know, you know, if you cook it yourself. Okay, so the first thing is engage with the text. And in your lesson, it's going to ask you, by the time you do the first two weeks homework, um, study on your own, you are going to read through the book of James, and it's short, five times. So please don't skip that. You know, you're like, I've read it twice already. Why do I need to read it again? Because every time you read it, you'll, you'll see something different. And even if you don't see a lot different, it just, the repetition, you're going to become more familiar with it. And so that's what the first lesson is about, which will take two weeks to do. And then, and then we'll do about, oh, on the order of about 10 or 15 verses a week. We're going to slow down and we'll go through a smaller portion. So, so read the whole thing and, and read it in a different version. I like to do that. You know, read it in the Living Bible or the Message to kind of get the really simple, you know, what he's saying. And then read it, you know, if you like uh, uh, our observation worksheets, these, you know, where it's printed off for us. These are in New American Standard. So if you like ESV or New King James or whatever version you, you like, um, read it in, in that version too. Read it in a couple of different versions. But um, engage with the text. Read, 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 reread. Um, your lesson's going to ask you to mark a few words. And if you've done studies with us before, you will see um, somewhere I have a marking sheet. Did I give that to you, Joanne? Okay. Um, Joanne's, did I? I did, okay. Um, a marking sheet, and, and so in the, in the lesson it will say, make yourself a bookmark. Um, Carol, we have spot back, right back there. Um, it'll say, make yourself a keyword bookmark. Well, this, what, what is being handed out to you with all the colors and symbols and stuff, that supersedes a bookmark, okay? So I went through and figured out some ways that you might mark things. Now you'll notice there's not a lot of words because James is pretty short and he repeats some words, but there's other things to mark like if you see opposites, if you see um, something that's this leads to this, which leads to this, you might put little arrows between them or that kind of thing. Um, just so you're seeing what point he's making. Because sometimes he's going to say, don't do this, do this. You know, wisdom from above is like this. And he lists several, several traits. Wisdom from, you know, earthly, worldly wisdom is like this. And he lists several traits. So, so you're going to make comparisons. Um, so that's what you're doing when you read through each time. You're like, oh, I didn't notice that before. He's comparing these two things. And so you're looking for, for um, contrasting ideas or words. You're looking for terms of conclusion when he says, so then, brethren, or therefore, or um, other terms of saying, well, okay, he's kind of he's coming to the end of this section, this paragraph or whatever. Um, just... When he says, but, 
you know, do this, do this, do this, but don't do this, that I always just put a box around, around but or however that shows like, oh, now he's going to switch gears. So, so if, if let's say that you have um, in a week, you have figured out that you have three hours to spend on your lesson, maybe an hour, three different days. I would spend at least half of that time just reading the passage and going over it and studying it, you know, without, without answering questions and all that stuff. If you come in and you have that sheet of paper with, the, with James chapter 1 printed on it and you've, you've scribbled and I put question marks in the margin if I don't get what it's talking about or, or um, on your marking sheet, um, I put LFL, Lesson for Life, if in green, if I, in a star, if I see something, I think, oh. Especially right now, what's happening in my life, I need to remember this. You know, maybe I'll write that on a post-it and put it on my mirror. You know, something that really jumps out at you, Lesson for Life. Um, so, you know, just go over, just chew, read it out loud if you're where, somewhere where people won't think you're too crazy, because then you're seeing it, you're speaking it, and you're hearing it. And if you're following along with your pencil, then that's another sense. As many ways that you can get that text through your brain, the better. So the first thing is engage. Engage with the text. Read it. If, um, you can listen to it on the phone. Listen to it on your phone. Oh, that's not very fat. I need a fatter marker. Engage with it. Okay, then the set, so once you've, you, and, and the purpose of that is to find out really what does it say and what does it not say? Because you may think, oh, well, I've, I've heard, I remember a story from Sunday school when they taught this and they said this and this and this, but it doesn't mention anything about that here. So what does it say? And then maybe you notice, oh, by the way, he doesn't say this. So engage with it, and you're trying to find out what it says. In, um, we often talk about observe the text, observation. You want to look at it. You want to ask who, what, when, where, why, and how, like we did. Who wrote it? Who's the audience? Where are they? You know, all that kind of thing. So the first step is engage, and that's by far the most important one. If you skip this step, then everything else is liable to be off kilter. Okay, so the second step is to assess. Now you've studied it. Now let's kind of figure out what it means. I mean, you could be studying the Old Testament, and you could go through a whole chapter that it's a, that's about the tent pegs in the tabernacle. And you're like, well, I don't, I'm not building a tabernacle, so what does this mean? You know, what's, what's, what's the point of this passage? Um, so when you're assessing, you, you think a little bit about the author, which we've, we've done, and you've thought about what would it be like to grow up with Jesus. You consider the situation that those that were the original audience, what was their situation, what was happening in history, where were they, you know, were they in Egypt, were they in, in, uh, uh, in the promised land, were they uh, dispersed abroad? Um, 
And, and then why is this included in the Bible? Why is it important that this chapter, this book is included in the Bible? In other words, uh, you look beyond the fact that we don't, we don't live in a country near Israel. You know, some of you may feel that you've been dispersed <laughs> from where you would prefer to live and you ended up here. But we don't live over there. Uh, we don't dress like they dressed back in the, oh, we haven't talked about when he wrote. There's, there's different estimates, but let's just say just roughly somewhere around um, 50 or 60 AD, maybe, maybe closer to 50, and we'll talk about that more too. But so we don't dress like those folks dressed in that culture. We don't uh, eat the same foods. So, okay, what is God saying to them? What's the point that also is the point for us? And so we're looking for a timeless principle. We're not looking for, um, you know, things like, like my example of if you're studying the chapters where God describes the, pe the tent pegs in building the tabernacle. Maybe the point is God... Um, is very specific about how we approach him in worship. I mean, maybe that's what we decide, you know, because he gave such detail about all the different parts of the tabernacle. And so maybe the point, not that I need to go build one of those, but that the whole point is that God is going to meet with his people and he has a lot to say about how that's going to happen. And he gets to decide how it's going to happen. We don't get to decide. So, I mean, that, that's an example. So if somebody's reading this passage in James, let's say the first chapter, and, and if they lived in Civil War um, America, you know, the 1860s, and they were on the north side, and they read this passage, there's some point to the passage. And if somebody lives in a little hut in Africa, and they've only been a believer for three years since the missionary came, and they read this chapter, and they finally have it in their own language, there's a point. And ideally, we would be able to come to that point and agree on the point. And that's the hardest part, because I think, well, it seems to me they're kind of emphasizing this. But um, the idea, people say, oh, well, that's your interpretation. Because that's really what we're doing at this point. It was we're interpreting, like, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean? What's, what's the point? Why is it in there? And so, um, ideally, there would be one interpretation. And then when we get to the next stage, which is responding, R-E-S-P-O-N-D, is to respond it's not just, we're not just studying biology or history or something. It's not, it's not a merely academic study that we're doing. We're wanting to know God better. We're wanting to understand um, more of how he views me, more of his plan for me, more of, of things that he doesn't like in me. And so when, when we respond, we're going to ask that the Spirit would reveal what I'm supposed to do in light of this truth. Now, I would just add, it's not what your wife is supposed to do. It's not what your kids are supposed to do or your neighbor. Um, it's what I'm supposed to do when, I'm, when God's talking to me. 
Um, is there an attitude that needs adjusted? Is there a habit that I ought to develop? Have I been ne uh, neglecting, you know, prayer or have I been whatever? Um, is there a sin I need to get rid of and I need to start getting serious about it? Is there a relationship I need to give some attention to? And so um, also, what am I learning about the Lord from this passage? Now, Jesus is only mentioned by name twice, but you're going to learn a lot about uh, his purposes for the church, how he wants relationships to work, how he would have us use our words, um, uh, how he would have us use our money, uh, how we treat one another. I mean, there's a lot of practical stuff, and you're probably going to find that your toes are getting stepped on a little by the Spirit, and um, that's good. Uh, Tim Keller said that if if your God, if if your God never basically never like gets in your face, but that probably what you're worshiping is just a, a glorified version of yourself. You know that that I mean, if I'm if I am a fallen human being and He is high and holy and lifted up, like in Isaiah six and like in Revelation, I mean there's a pretty big gap, right? And, and so there's lots of things that he needs to do. Howard Hendrickson said, well, how much work do you think he needs to do to get us ready to, to you know, be uh, in the heavenly kingdom where no sin enters and all that? So, so what do we learn about Jesus? And, and expect that he's going to tell us some things. Otherwise, why are we wasting our time? We could be out fishing or something. Okay, so responding means, um, uh, okay, what, in light of what I've read, what it says, and what I understand to be the point or the moral of that paragraph or that section, then how is the Spirit leading me to respond? And you might, you probably don't have to wonder too much because it might even occur to you way up when you're doing the observation like, oh, wow. I heard that song this morning that had the same point. Uh, last Sunday at church, my pastor talked with the same point, and here I'm studying this, and it's the third time I've heard that point this week. Maybe God's trying to tell me something, <laughs> right? Um, and I just want to say, too, that if you leave, if you leave this class, um, you know, after several months, I think we'll finish up about the end of February or so. I'm still working a little bit on the calendar and I should have that ready for you next week. So it says, okay, for this day, do this part in your book and do this. And here's the day we're going to have a DVD and all that stuff. I just didn't quite get that all worked out. Um, but if you leave this class and you say, you know, that, that fooler, she's, she's a pretty good teacher. It was kind of interesting and she makes corny jokes and stuff. Then I failed miserably. Because that's not, I mean, I'm not a stand-up comic or whatever, you know. So that's not the purpose of, of coming together to study the Bible. And even if you say, wow, there was a whole bunch more to James than I thought there was, even that's not really our purpose. That's part of it. Um, I work hard to, to you know, to present um, an interesting class that will help you study and all that. And the book of James is very interesting. Um, boy, I... 
I thought, yeah, it'll be good to study that, but eh, it's not as interesting as some other books. Well, of course, once I get digging into it, then I'm like, oh, my, I didn't realize that was in there. And oh, that's, you know, so I'm discovering all these things. And what I really hope, here's how we know if the class is a success, is if you, in your own study, if you're knowing God better and you're obeying him more consistently and you're seeing him more and more involved in your life and that you're a part of his kingdom and you're, you know, and it's exciting. And, and that's our aim. You know, those other things are nice. I wouldn't expect you to come to a, you know, a really, really boring class. And, and it is an interesting book, but really our aim is to know God better and to follow him more closely. And so that's, that's where we're headed. That's what our aim is. Okay, so, so what does it say? What does it mean? What, so what? Whoa, stay here. So what? Like, what do I do? And then the last step is to share. In other words, if God's teaching me something, I shouldn't just be a sponge and soak and soak and sour. I should, I should think of myself more as a conduit, as a pipeline, as a, as a channel, not in the ooh, new age, uh, you know, sense, but to be, to be somebody that can pass on what God is teaching me to the people around me. And you'll be surprised how clever God is because he will bring somebody, your neighbor or a family member, you know, whoever, he will bring somebody cross your path and they'll be talking about something that you just studied last week. And you could say, oh, boy, I hear you. I, I deal with the same thing. In fact, I was just reading in James that, you know, and you can encourage them. Now make sure it's good news, you know, don't, the gospel's good news. Don't use it to, you know, clobber them over the head or whatever, but but just be alert because God might bring somebody that needs to hear the same thing. So, in other words, who else could benefit? Who would be blessed by this? And it could be a non-Christian. You could encourage a non-Christian with scriptural principles. Um, it could be a believer. It could be, it could be anybody. Um, again, I just want to emphasize that the first step is really the most important because if I don't take the time to study it and go over it and over it and become familiar with it and note how often certain words are mentioned, all those kinds of things, what you know, the 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 contrasts, the the conclusions, the flow of it. Um, if I don't take the time to do that, then that's where I'm going to get way off off base. And if you think about it, a lot of of false religions and wackos that are maybe in the broad sense Christian, but they're wackos, um, they will take a little verse here and a little phrase here instead of looking at big chunks of scripture. And the other value of studying, um, I wish every pastor preached through books of the Bible because, because if you're studying, we're going to be studying the book of James, so it's going to be in front of you, in your thoughts, you're going to be thinking about it when you're 
when you're uh, carrying in wood this fall, when you're driving, when you're washing dishes, you're going to be thinking about, it'll just come to mind something that you've, that you've been studying for months. And if we came and one week we talked about tithing and the next week we talked about forgiveness and the next week we talked about outreach and the next week we talked about worship, you know, if I ask you, now what did we talk about three weeks ago? You know, you'd have to think. It's kind of like, who was vice president 10 years ago? Well, we'd have to think, right? So um, just there's such value in sticking in one book and studying it for an extended period of time, reviewing, going back, you'll be quite familiar. And once you do this, you'll, the rest of your life, you'll have a handle on the book of James. And when you're somewhere and you hear a sermon, you're like, oh, I studied that. Yeah, 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 this guy's got it right. Yeah, he, he understands what, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's, it's just... This method of study is unbeatable, unbeatable. So, um, I think it makes it an anchor in your repertoire. Uh, Renee says it makes it an anchor in your repertoire. In other words, it's part of your arsenal, your right. spiritual arsenal that you have in your mind and in your heart. Um, you know the principles of James. You know how God has used it in your life. And you'll, I mean, I don't mean that you'll memorize it or anything, uh, but, but it will be with you. It will be with you. And speaking of memorization, in your lesson, they're going to want you to memorize like most of the whole first chapter of James. If you want to do that, that's wonderful. But I don't want that to be a burden to anybody. So what I intend to do is I'll probably pick two verses maybe that we'll work on memorizing together and if you want to memorize more go for it but I think with you know especially if you're just starting out this kind of study I think that's a little much uh, for most people unless you're really you know have learned how to memorize well um, let's see let's any t any tips from the old timers? If you've been if you've done at least like three classes or something, you have any words of wisdom for the newbies? Come to class no matter what. Yes, don't skip just because you don't have your homework done, and don't try to catch up. If you have a crazy couple of weeks, sick family members, company, out of town, whatever, don't say to yourself, well, I'm going to catch up before I come back because that's when people drop out. That's what we've found through the years. I've been doing this for, I don't know, 20 years or something. And um, that's when people tend to drop out. So just do look at your schedule, your syllabus, what you're supposed to be doing that week. And then if we, there'll be a couple of weeks we don't have class and we'll take a month off at Christmas. And so, you know, then if you want to catch up or if you want to wait till summer and do that, that's fine. But, but don't tell yourself you're going to catch up before you come back to class because it most likely won't happen. Um, okay, a little bit about um, organizing your notebook. You, you will benefit greatly. You see most of the people that have already done class have a three-ring notebook. And don't pay the big price for them because you can get them for 50 cents or 75 cents or a dollar at the thrift shops. Yes, ma'am. I set out a few free 
<gasps> In fact, God has already provided. Chris said she brought some notebooks out, out like where you signed in. So if you need one, um, you know, you don't need a four-incher for, for James. Mine is kind of big, but I have extra stuff in there as I study and prepare. Um, so you need a notebook. And what I like to do is um, after the first lesson, the first lesson you're going to be using chapter 1 through 5. You're going to do an overview. Then after that, each lesson is going to be just, just a chapter or part of a chapter. So I would, put, I would go through and I would staple all the pages that are, that are the lesson for lesson 1. Not chapter 1, but the lesson for lesson 1. I would staple those pages together. And then I would put... Um, like when I get to lesson two, when we start in going on smaller parts, I would put then uh, the, the text of chapter one, I would put it with lesson two. Does that make sense? And, and so that if you want to just tuck in your lesson and your observation worksheet when you're going to a ball game or you're going to be driving or, you know, going somewhere overnight or whatever, you've got you it with you. Hmm? you yes, not driving. You're the passenger. <laughs> if you can do that, I, I would get nauseous. I get car sick if I try to read or something. But I like to do that. Um, what other tips for organization? Oh, put some notebook paper in your with your stuff because you might want to take notes in class. About every other week we'll have a video that sort of summarizes what we've been studying and you some people like to just relax and watch the video. Some people like to take notes. Um, we may, we'll do some things in class that aren't in your lesson that, that you might want to write down. So it's a good idea to have some, have some paper and have some paper handy when you're studying too because you might want to make a list or or write down questions or something. So any other, yes, Chris. Are we gonna do part of lesson one for next week? Or? Yes, thank you. For next week, since I don't have the syllabus for you, for next week, that was, that was right after organized notebook. For next week, no, you're, you're on it. Um, do, do pages one, two, and three. And that also happens to be days one, two, and three. You'll notice that your lesson is divided into five days. Sometimes they'll put day three and four together or two and three together. But it's meant, it's meant that you would work on it several times during the week. Don't wait till Tuesday night and say, oh, I better do my lesson. Because if you rush through it, you're just not going to get as much out of it. I mean, it's better than not doing it, but... It, the ideal is that you would start, you know, tonight or tomorrow and just maybe do a little bit each day or every other day or whatever works for your schedule. Um, okay, so lesson one, days one, two, and three, which also happens to be page one, two, and three. So you, you will do that on your own at home, or if you live with somebody else in class, you can work on it together, but it's ideal to do it by yourself. And, and again, I just want to caution you. I think they're going to ask you to read through, maybe not for next week, but for the following week together when we, st when we cover chapter one after, after, no, the overview. They're going to ask you to read through the book, I think it's five times, and please do that. 
you know, use a different version. Sometimes it's going to say mark something and you probably want to use your observation worksheets and that's what they're for. They're for engaging or observing the text. That's why we have it so you don't have to mark your Bible up so much. Um, some people don't like to mark in their Bible at all and I've had Bibles so marked up that I can hardly read them because I've got all these arrows and notes and stuff. So that's where you put your notes and that's on that observation worksheet. That's what it's for. Um, any other tips that the new people need to know? Yes, a question is, is good too. Yes. I would just, I wouldn't necessarily staple the observation sheet with it because, because there's going to be two lessons on each chapter except for chapter three because it's shorter and it's more, um, it's more about fewer, it, it's mostly about one topic. So they cover it in one lesson. So I wouldn't staple the observation worksheet to the lesson pages. And, you know, get some of those little tab things, and, and even those things are getting expensive. So you can just uh, reuse them if you have some in something else, um, or just put a little post-it thing on where the first, you know, what have we got, 10 lessons? So 1 th through 10. Um, that just makes it easy if it says, you know, recall back in lesson 4 when you did such and such, and you're like... <laughs> here somewhere. Um, you're welcome. Um, we need to put the tables and the chairs back and if you're able to come early that's wonderful because we have to set up and take down our room but the church, Redeemer's Church, bought more of these lightweight tables just for us and, and they're storing them down here. What's that? Oh yes. The at a, there's something called an at-a-glance chart, and that is page five. We're going to be using that as we go along, and, and in the lesson it will tell you things like, um, you know, on the at-a-glance chart, put what you think is the main topic of chapter one or what two topics are covered in chapter two and that kind of thing. And that's going to be kind of like a visual index. So when you're in, you know, when we're in chapter four and you're trying to, oh, I think they talked about that earlier, then you can just flip to that page and go, yep, yep, that was mentioned in chapter two. And so, you know, it's kind of a little reference sheet. And, and at the top of your observation worksheet, right under where it says James 1, there's a little line, what's that called? Theme, is that what it's? Theme? Chapter theme. So right there in as few words as you can I always am too wordy <laughs> you try to say what that chapter is about and it may be two or three things I think for chapter one there were two or three things because you know there were just two or three things but it's so you just it's after you finish studying that chapter and going through it and all that uh, try to figure, and you may want to put that in pencil because when you come to class and we talk about that, you may want to steal somebody else's really clever answer. So, um, you know, write it in pencil or you can write it. Nice, thanks, Gloria. She's 
Yes, try to use words that are, that are in that chapter instead of just changing it to your own words, if that makes sense. Um, that will help you remember which chapter it was in and all that. Um, I'm going to show you, or actually Steve's going to show you, um, if you're familiar with um, a ministry called The Bible Project, they're based in Portland, and one of the main guys is a Multnomah graduate like I am. Um, they are a wonderful ministry, and they have charts like this for every book in the Bible. So if you are teaching Sunday school and you're studying the book of Luke or something, they also have topical things like the theme of trees through the whole Bible. I mean, they just have so much stuff and it's all, I mean, you, there's, there are things you can buy. You can buy a book that has all these charts in it, but most of the material they make available free. And so um, in a couple of weeks, maybe next week, I will have you a copy of this chart. So don't worry about trying to take notes on it or write anything down or anything like that. Just enjoy. They're going to talk about what the, uh, just kind of an overview to get you ready to go home and do your overview. So I think it's about eight minutes long, maybe. Cool. Thank you, thank you.